Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. If you love the arts and you live in St. Louis, you surely know the Loretto Hilton Center. It's the home of the Repertory Theater of St. Louis, Opera Theater of St. Louis, and Webster University's Conservatory of Theater and Dance. It's a terrific place to see a show. But did you know that the Hilton in the Loretto Hilton Center is actually Conrad Hilton? Today, younger listeners might relate to him only as the great-grandfather of Paris Hilton. But he's the self-made hotel magnate who built the Hilton Hotel empire. He briefly and disastrously married Zaza Gabor. And his son, equally briefly and also disastrously, married Elizabeth Taylor. Well, so how did Hilton end up giving $1.5 million to the nuns who ran what was then Webster College? That's $12.6 million in today's dollars, Mm. and it covered most of the expense of the Loretto Hilton building. That was a major gift for a man who was known to be tight with a dollar. So the remarkable backstory of that donation is the subject of Alan Carl Larson's new book. Alan is a professor emeritus at Webster. He actually spent 36 years working at the Loretto Hilton Center as the music director of the Webster Symphony Orchestra. And his new book, The Sisters Backstage, a story of faith, perseverance, and the Loretto Hilton Theater, makes its debut this week. So, Alan Carl Larson, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today on your program. Now, the origin of your new book is a pretty remarkable find, (laughs) something that you just stumbled into on your first day at the Loretto Hilton Center. So, set that scene for us. You were moving to rental housing across the street. Right. I, um, owned some houses right across the street from the theater. Uh, I was renting one of them, and on the day I moved in, it was a hot St. Louis day. What's new about that? <laughs> um, I asked the young man next door where to put our packing debris, and uh, he said, put it right here in this pile of stuff. It's going to be picked up tomorrow. I glanced over at the pile, and on the top of the boxes and papers and stuff, I saw some file folders, and uh, some of them had the name Conrad Hilton on the tab. I grew up in Chicago. I uh, went to the Hilton Hotel for my prom night. Ah. (laughs) We marched past it in our high school band. I could see the big sign on Michigan Avenue when they went to Chicago Symphony concerts in the park. So I was interested. And then they had just shown me the Loretto Hilton Center where the orchestra was to perform. So I said, can I look at these files? Uh, He said, sure, take them away. They were going to throw them away. Exactly. And that's the funny thing. Well, anyway, I went into the house where I was moving and um, I opened one just out of idle curiosity, and I saw the first letter in the file that was from Conrad Hilton congratulating Sister Francetta on becoming president of Webster College. That was 1958. Would you be uh, willing to let me read that letter? It's really short. Sure. Let's read that, that very brief letter. Yeah, that just starts the whole thing going. And Sister Francetta um, had just been named the president of Webster College. She was a sister of Loretta, which is an order of nuns uh, that's very involved in education. And he knew her from El Paso, Texas, and, and Conrad was raised in the Catholic schools. So here it is, August 2nd, 1958. And the letter is on a beautiful stage with the crest all in blue ink. She says, he said, Dear Sister Francetta, I have just heard of your appointment as president of your college in St. Louis, Webster College, effective August 15th. Congratulations. My very best wishes accompany you in your new assignment, and I know you will give a great account of yourself. Kindest regards. Sincerely yours, Conrad N. Hilton. Wonderful. And then she wrote a lovely, I won't take it now on the air to read it back, but she responded to his letter with, 
my good friend Connie, and this little president will look up to the big president. And I mean, she was wonderful with language. I think you read that, did you not? Yes, her letters are, um, she just has a way of sort of flattering him without it coming across as rank flattery. Exactly. And so this correspondence that you found, did you realize right away this was something worth spending some time reading? Well, uh, yes. <laughs> I, I sat down, did I tell you already, I started reading it, and uh, my helpers the day moving in and my family were quite disappointed. I'm sitting there reading a book, and no, I'm reading a files, and they're out there carrying boxes and chairs and whatever else in and out of the house. So I knew right away it was interesting. I couldn't stop reading it. Um, and I won't tell what this telegram is by every word, but when I came to a certain important telegram later on in the second file, basically him saying that he'll do the job. Mm-hmm. I literally teared up because of all the, the letters that went to that point. It was such a dramatic story and how they, oh, guess, pleaded and cajoled is not the right word, but various ways to get him to spend the money. The first thing they did was ask him to be a pioneer for education. Um, I'm starting, Sister Francis says, I'm starting a Pioneers for Education. Would you be my first pioneer? Mm-hmm. And he said, sure, here's $1,000. And it went on from there for two, three years worth of letter writing. And it's kind of just this fascinating almost courtship where uh, Sister Francetta, uh, she sort of keeps coming at him very politely mm-hmm. and with sort of this warmth. And yet she's almost continually <laughs> asking him for money. Absolutely. Well, there's a wonderful moment in there where uh, he's kind of pressed for donations across the country. And he says, I'm sorry, I cannot help you this year. That would just put me out of business. I can't make a donation. And so she writes back, thank you for this wonderful letter of telling me you'll help me next year. Yeah, she just did not take no for an answer. (laughs) Exactly. Now, she writes of reading his autobiography, and she's watching him on various TV programs over the years. Do you think her interest in him was entirely strategic? Well, no. They were friendly. Uh, He went to school uh, in, um, well, he went to school in, um, I'm having trouble with El Paso, Texas, and so forth. Anyway, he was raised in the Catholic school. I think in New Mexico. Thank you. And uh, he was raised uh, and sc- went to the school with the Sisters Loretto, and he liked them very much. So he would often volunteer and to do chores for them at the, at the house, the mother house. And so he knew these, this particular order for a long time. And then um, at one time, Sister Francetta, when she was the president of a school in El Paso, Texas, uh, went to a banker in town named Sam Young and said, you know Conrad Hilton, don't you? Would you please write to him and tell him to send me $50,000 for this gymnasium? And he kind of gulped, you know, well, I I guess I will. Well, Conrad Hilton said, yes, I'll do it if you can find 15 men in El Paso who will each give $5,000 to help, da, 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 da. And sure enough, that's how it happened. So she knew he was good for some donations way early on. So, but I, I don't know. It's a tough, it's a good question you ask. I think it was a combination of strategy, but also just love for this man who was Catholic. He prayed a lot. Um... He was not that tight with the dollars, it turns out. I found out that he was extremely philanthropic his whole life. And now the foundation is extremely philanthropic. They it's interesting. He, he left the money to the foundation rather than to his heirs or to his ex-wife. And right. so when we think of him as being a little tight-fisted, maybe he was just very directed with That's where he wanted exactly. his money it to was go. Maybe, exactly. You just said it perfectly well. <laughs> now, Sister Francetta, at one point in these letters that, that you collected into this book, she invited herself to stay at his hotel 
in New York City for 10 days. And she writes, because of your overwhelming goodness to me in El Paso, I feel not only confident in my request, but rather like a daughter writing to her father. Oh, that's wonderful. So you can say no to me if my request is out of order and I will understand. She's so bold. Oh, she's brilliant in that respect. Um, one of the biggest, biggest important events in the entire uh, book is when they went to New York and stayed at the uh, Waldorf Astoria that he had just, I guess, just had purchased um, to show him the plans for the new theater. And it just turns out that they had received the plans from the architect just a couple days before their trip that had already been planned. So they arrive there and they show him the plans and he really liked them. But there's an unfortunate problem. There was a strike starting. The waiters were going on strike and it appeared that maybe the strike would spread to all the hotel, which would be terrible for him financially, as well as his mind being all wrapped up in it. Well, they talked to him for a while. They showed him the plans and he smiled about it. And later on, they went downstairs and talked the strikers out of the strike. Can you imagine the scene? Two nuns in habits on the street in, Wal- in front of the Waldorf Astoria in New York talking to the strikers, and they acquiesced, and they didn't do the strike. I mean, it really ought to be a Hollywood movie. I'm going to write a play. Are you? I'm, this will all become a play eventually. Um, I already have cast Conrad Hill in my mind and Sister Francetta. Who do you want to play these two people? Uh which one? Uh, who would you like to play? Uh, Conrad Hilton. Oh, Joe Neal Joplin, a fantastic actor who's been with the Repertory Theater ever since I came to St. Louis. He's a wonderful actor. And I hope Marsha Mason would come back and be Sister Francetta. So you've got this all figured out. Oh, I've got the whole scene set up in my mind. I've just got to get busy and start writing now. <laughs> I guess one thing I find myself wondering, you knew immediately when you found this cache of letters that this was something that had this great emotional impact, and yet it ended up taking you um, more than 30 years to turn this into a book. Yeah, well, I've had them for 46 years. Um, I was a professor at the school. I had to get an orchestra off the ground, get going to, to my classes, etc., etc., etc. I became a director of a choir at the First Unitarian Church in St. Louis at one point. I started a new professional choir, the Sheldon Chorale, at one point, etc., etc. And then when I retired, I said, oh, I'll write this book. But that's when those other players came to me. Could you help us start a new orchestra? Finally, I'm only going to conduct one more concert this coming February. And uh, so the time is less and less with the orchestra. I said, now's the year to put this book out. So was it in your mind the whole time this needs to be a book and it was just finally getting Not the, the time? the whole time. More about maybe I, I was given a few, I was giving a few lectures at Webster about the book and the, excuse me, not the book, just the letters. And people seemed very, very interested in it. And when the Loretta Hilton Theater put on a new wing and they have the box office for Rep and the Opera Theater, I was invited to speak about these letters at that special opening. And everybody seemed interested. Oh, I've got to read those letters. Tell me about it. Who, oh, wow. And And so I figured, at that time, I realized this has to be a book. That's when you knew. Now, you made a really interesting choice in this book that rather than um, you retyping all these letters or rather than just turning it into a narrative where the biographer is front and center, for the most part, you let these letters speak for themselves. And we can actually see the telegrams and we can see the letterhead that they're on. Yeah. What made you decide to go that route? Well, because that's the way I found them, and that's the way it's exciting. And, and a lot of people have never seen onion skins. Uh, for those who are younger and listening today, and onion skins were some thin pieces of paper that were put behind a piece of carbon paper, which was put behind the letter that the person would type to somebody. And then they would send the letter and put the carbon uh, copy away and put the onion skins in a file. That was before copying machines, everybody. Um, and they're just beautiful to look at. I, I want people who read this book to experience it the way I 
experienced it that first day I read them. Mm-hmm. And I've read them many times over the years. My, I've lived with them for 46 years. So it feels like you're almost paging through artifacts exactly. rather than... Well, when you get to um, a couple of the telegrams, and again, a lot of younger readers have never seen a telegram. It's a yellow piece of paper, about, what, five by eight, I guess. And on the piece of paper, they would glue down the words that were typed, uh, typed uh, teletyped you know, by a telegraph machine to, that's why the word stop is always in there, because that's for a period. They didn't have a period, so they had to write stop. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, so I found that so exciting and so interesting visually that I've, that's the way the book should look. So I think the look of the book is, is something that makes it really special. Um, one of the other things is just when you spend some time with these letters, what really comes across is her doggedness. Absolutely. She is just relentless in trying to secure this money for exactly. Webster. And yet he's, for the first half of the book, you can tell he does not want to make a major donation. No. Yet he keeps writing her back. Why do you think he kept responding? He's clearly a busy man. Well, he, like I said, when he grew up and studied with the nuns, uh, especially the nuns of Loretto, uh, he had extremely a good, deep respect for them. Mm-hmm. And I think he was a very religious person. Um, you, you wouldn't think so, this hotel magnet, money, and traveling all over the world. But he kept praying. He had prayers. And he respected them so much that I think that's why he wrote back. I don't think he thought he would give that much money early on. Um, but anyway, I think that's what the reason is. What do you see as the turning point in when they finally nailed down this deal? I think when they started writing letters to him and say, we see this College of Fine Arts on our campus, the Loretto Fine Arts Campus, or the Conrad Hilton Loretto Campus, or the Hilton Memorial. They kept using his name in there. And then um, I, I kind of put the book into, so to speak, Acts, Act 1, 2, 3. And in Act 3, they actually, she used the name, his name, on the building. It would be the Loretto Hilton Center for the Performing Arts. And I think that is one of the turning points. But when he saw the plans with that on it, At that point, that it was just it. on. There's a funny story that um, once they had that meeting in his office at the hotel, and he agreed to do it, they were all excited. And he and Sister Francetta danced the Put Your Little Foot in. It's a little old song that's been around forever. Put daddy, daddy, dum daddy, daddy, put your little foot right in. And so I would love to have been there to see Conrad Hilton and a nun dancing in his office. It is amazing. The other thing that um, you kind of take away from from reading this book, it's called, again, The Sisters Backstage, and that's by Alan Carl Larson, um, is he seems to take such joy from having given in and giving them the money. Do you think there's a lesson in there for people who want to hold on to their assets? A big lesson if you want to have a a history in the world of doing good, doing well for people, donate your money. You know, that's what happened. I want to mention the sisters backstage. The title backstage, of course, is like so many people, sisters, nuns, people who do busy work at a school. They often are in the backstage while the actors and the conductors and all of us are out there in front. And so the cover design, my wife and I dreamt up, I, I saw in my mind two sisters looking from backstage onto the stage because they would be in the background, but they're the ones that made it happen. And, yeah. and then so the cover here is in the theater. Uh, I, I chose two students to be the models for the sisters. And that's, I think, important because the theater students are the ones who benefit from this as well as the whole community. Uh, Patrick Gilbin from Webster University, the, um, he's in charge of public relations, talked so much to me the other day about how important these letters have changed St. Louis mm-hmm. because of that theater. We have opera theater. We have repertory theater and all the other things that are in there. So... Um, 
I may have mispronounced his last name, and I apologize for that. The point is, his his point is right. That has changed St. Louis to having all that artistic center there. Yeah, and here now we can finally know this remarkable backstory. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you'd like to have longtime St. Louis actor Joe Neal Joplin <laughs> portray Conrad Hilton. Uh, John Neal was actually a guest on this program last year to talk about his 220 shows he's done in St. Oh, Louis. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, so we've tweeted out at STL on air uh, a link to that program if, if our readers or if our listeners are interested in more on that. We also have an awesome photo that Webster gave us of Conrad Hilton at the groundbreaking of oh, the. And there, some of those are in the book there. Yeah, so you can see them in the book and you can also see them on our St. Louis on the Air Twitter account. So, um, Alan Carl Larson, your book is called The Sisters Backstage, and it's just a remarkable read. I want to thank you for joining me today. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. And if people want to get this book, where can they um, right purchase now, it? Right now, they can buy it at the uh, Webster Groves Bookshop. It's at 27 North Gore in Old Webster. They used to be on a different corner. Uh, now they've moved a little bit, but uh, that's where they can buy it now. Or they can buy it from me directly, and I'm going to give you my card with uh, my email address on it so that you could let people know about it. we'll share that with any listeners who want that info and also include it in the web post we do about our conversation. Now, um, Alan, again, thank you for joining us. This is St. Louis on the Air at St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.